up, ladies and gentlemen? You're listening to New Hill Talks, a podcast for the members and regular attenders of New Hill Church. My name is Michael Meadows. I'm the lead pastor at New Hill Church. I am Gary Fox, Associate Pastor of the Month, two months in a row. Mark Sherry, one of the members. Ben Mayshire, one of the members. Just hanging out. Just hanging out. Love it. Man, guys, it's, it's good to be back and like trying to catch up on all the recordings and getting them posted. And good that we're welcome to be on a podcast this time. Yeah. I know we were left out last time, Gary, but I guess we're, we're like, just Oh, let's over. get Michael up here. Yeah, the star. <laughs> Michael got to be on a very famous podcast. <laughs> Front Porch Theology, you guys can go check it out. That's uh, the podcast from our sending church, New Heights. Mark and uh, I got to eat pizza. We were down in uh, Tennessee for the convention down in Nashville uh, a couple weeks ago, and yeah, they invited me up, and you know, Mark, Mark was actually technically a part of it. He was just... Uh, on the first floor, uh, back, the back, the back porch. I was privileged to hear a few words from the yeah. podcast. In the I mean, movie. they had all this good equipment and all this stuff, and I'm like, hey, man, this is pretty cool. You know, we recorded that outside, we said, Come on, and Michael. the quality of it, I've already listened to it, phenomenal. I mean, they, they one of their guys from the church uh, is one of their worship leaders, um, went to Liberty University for sound engineering. So, really? I mean, yeah, it's just... He's like, he's not listening to it. He didn't do like a mic check. He was just looking at levels. Oh, yeah. He didn't even have to listen, and it came out, you know, beautiful. Professional. Some, some editing, and uh, we're not about that. You hear matches around here, we and coughing, that, and though. water bottles, and Sweet. pins. Mark and I, used and I to were downstairs one. drinking diet uh, pop. And no, you were talking. No, so here's what would have been awkward, is if the two of you all would have been invited to be on the podcast, and then the other two guys that were invited from the convention to come have pizza would have been left downstairs we, alone. We would have been okay with that. You would have been okay right. with that. Mark that, Mark wasn't working. He was outside hey guys, playing. guys, we'll be back in a couple hours. <laughs> it was 30 minutes. I didn't leave you all that long. Anyway, um, yeah, good time down yeah. in, in Nashville. Good time with, with you guys. And I'm glad to be back here. You though. know what I really loved about the trip? Was driving around Nashville for 30 minutes. Whoa, waiting on my buddies. That to, was bad. Yeah, that was. we shouldn't play that joke on Michael ever again. Was kind of he said, "Okay, guys, I'm gonna go get the car, whip it around here, and no, I'll so, call you when I'm." So I'm taking Aubrey and the girls back. I'm just gonna let our audience know. Back to the hotel. It's it's bedtime for the girls. The uh, the guys and my family. We had dinner. Uh, we went to what Prince's Prince's chicken? hot chicken, baby. Prince's oh, yeah. hot chicken. Sounds like princess hot mm-hmm. chicken when you say it. Prince's Prince's yes. hot chicken, and it was really good. Um, it wasn't everything Mark expected because it wasn't the original Thermo location. Nuclear. So yeah, yeah. They're, they're, but it was. Yeah. So for me, Gary and Aubrey, you know, we loved it. You know, so Mark was a little disappointed because he had expectations. So, um, anyways, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna take them back since we only have one car. You guys don't get an Uber, and then we can go and we can hang out for the evening. Gary's like, yeah, it's cool. Take my phone, charge it. So Gary's without a phone. So Mark is left with a phone. That's it. And I'm looking at him right now because I get back to where Gary said they would be. Oh, and he said, I'll call when I whip around. When I come around the corner, I'll call and let you guys know I'm so, here. So I call Mark and I'm like, all right, like they're like fiddling around in the store, like whatever, maybe looking for something for their wife's. I think that they bought their wife's new dresses from that one store mm. or something. So Yeah, they're, they're um, on order. Back they're order. on back order. Okay. So um, I got my kids' gifts at the airport. Remember? Yeah, you got. He's just grabbing them randomly. <laughs> Not even thinking like, about it. Like small, small, boom, gone. Yeah, yeah cut right. this one down. So it's a, it's a Tennessee on it or Nashville. Or so I make a few calls and I make a few calls and I'm driving around the block and got my windows down. I'm starting to like cheer and chant and and yell and sing and 
These guys never show up, so I have to so, call Mrs. Sherry and <laughs> give her a call. and like, hey, do you have a GPS tracking device on Mark by chance? You can just start ringing his bell or something. In my, in my defense, I had muted my phone from the conference. And then even worse than that, when Gary an and Android. I get into conversation, we're not exactly we're aware of our surroundings. So I'm checking my phone. I'm not seeing any calls. We're, we're and the then I, I open it up and there's like 18 calls from Michael <laughs> and my wife. And Let me tell you something about me the too. Nashville did you, did you, this happened when I was a kid. My there was parents a missing would, person my parents, Amber Alert. My, my parents would go out to the bar and I'd call them. It, it wasn't like abnormal for my parents to be out like to the early morning, like 2, 2 a.m., stroll back in, like whatever. I'm not knocking them, uh, but I would call, and if I wouldn't hear from them, I'd keep calling, and my mom would get so aggravated about it. But I'm like, I don't know if you all died. Like, yeah. what am I supposed to do? Like, I just it's just me and my brother here. Like, I don't think my brother could take care of me. Like, if anything happened, like you know, need I need some help around. Because the house fire, your brother's taking off the front door, I, like, and I'm like oh, stuck, I'm like here, stuck like, up there. Because yeah. I felt loved. I'm pretty sure you did too, Gary. Oh, yeah. The thought of us not being here anymore distressed Michael. It so. did. Felt, felt pretty loved. It did. Well, I was really worried because Gary doesn't know how to like use Uber or anything. <laughs> so I'm like, if Mark if Mark guys, goes down, so here, here's guys. in my head how how this is working. It's Mark and Gary, and Gary's walking around with a Pride T-shirt that says Pride <laughs> Pride comes before the fall with a bunch of SBCers, and Pride's real big. So Gary's wearing this shirt. I'm trying to set the picture for everybody. The two of you all are walking around alone. There's an Android. Something happens to Mark. Gary barely knows how to use his iPhone. Then you give him a foreign device like an Android. Then he's got to call an Uber. Oh, I'm just boy. worried about you guys. You just call 911. I hey, just start. Can you guys help me with my Uber? Just got, I need to order one. When I'm around, like, is it there everybody's always safe because you'd be amazed how loud I can scream. <laughs> that, is, that is true. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Um, we have a question we're going to get to here in a minute about apostasy uh, from one of our uh, few listeners out there, um, and we want to get to that, but want to do a little bit of a recap, um, really from the past two weeks. Let's just go ahead and we'll do chapter six and seven, because Pastor Gary hit on the first um, seven verses, I believe, of chapter six, talking about um, deacons, um, the first ones being what we believe to be is the first deacons. Um, and then we'll get into the rest of chapter six and seven, which I preached this past week. But what was something that stood out to you guys, uh, or you, Mark, um, from the message? Well, so I'll go. I'll go backwards in order. So you know, um, the title that you had was uh, "Bridge and Then Break," and I really like the way you set that up because uh, biblical confrontation is one of the things that's lacking in our culture. We want to be, it's considered rude to disagree or to make points that are harsh. And a lot of the points that Stephen had made were just blatantly point, they were so point towards that group. Yeah. And they they were justified points. Um, from so scripture. I, from scripture. Yeah. I mean, that's what was like really telling about it. And, you know, like for me, like right just in, their face. in the prep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they should have known this. Right. And actually, it was the very thing they were accusing him right. of doing. He's like, no, actually, it's you. And he shouldn't have known this. Um, I've like his, his background. Talk about. Come back to that. He's a Hellenist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, because you preached a little bit on that. Yeah. Um, well, and it wasn't just break, but it was bridge. So you have typically your two characters. You have your, you know, hellfire brimstone, you know, Southern Baptist who just comes and yells and shouts and, you know, says those things. 
Gary. No, I was going to say, why, <laughs> why then, is everybody looking and at then, me? And then, and Wait, then you have your bridge builder, Michael. No, um, and so I actually would agree with that, and I think that's why, like, there's there's good usage in in the plurality or yes. a good point to a make place a for both. Yeah, you know, time frame. so we balance each other, like, because there's times where, like, you know, I need to be more stern on the breaking. But he did build that bridge when he, when he said, "What do you say, brothers and fathers?" Mm. Yeah, he didn't just he could have just said brothers, right. but even that term fathers implies respect. I know who you are. You know what I'm saying? And then yeah. he got to the you stiff necked. Right. You stiff right. yeah. You know, but he's that wasn't that's not that was not a throwaway term. Like he was he was he was making a sandwich, Mark. Where he was <laughs> That's right. The two pieces of bread and the meat. And the then the hardcore meat in the middle. But that that's a great point. I feel like we interrupted your point again. No, that no, that, that that was the point. I, I think, okay, you, can, I think you can translate that model into any relationship, whether it's marital or work or friendship, where there's a problem and you you notice it, you build a bridge and then you break. Yeah. Um, and you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So Stephen spoke in love, but they were wounds, and he did that in love. It was necessary. Um, and that was for you know their salvation, acknowledging their sin. And so, yeah, that, that was my point. I, I really like that. And then the deacon's sermon, you made a lot of good points. That was two weeks ago, so my memory isn't as fresh of that. But really enjoyed that. Yeah. So I'll go the I'll go not in reverse. I'll go forward. Well, I did mention this in the message, but just something I could have camped on a little bit longer was there's actually debate on whether or not those guys were the first deacons. And I, I, as I studied that and studied, and I've read it before, I've preached through it before, but I, I don't, I, honestly, I think, because they're not called deacons, right? They're not saying these guys are the deacons. But I really do believe that that term kind of codified and became used, you know, as a, as a term after that had happened. But I, I don't know how you can read that and come away thinking they're not deacons. To me, they very clearly are deacons. Did something happen? No, we're we're good. Uh, you guys just received vouchers for your Dude. botched flight back. Yeah, but it was really sent. It was amazing. sent to my email. So thank, I thought you were great. Okay. My pleasure and your misery. <laughs> and then, um, oh, they weren't called the first deacons. They, I, they were. I, I don't know why. I don't see why that is an issue. Well, and I mean, you literally There's, look at like the jobs that they're given, I mean, and then you look at the qualifications yeah, of I mean, deacon and. Like, I mean, even the early times, like, this is where church that history. Title, think, yeah. That title evolved later in the in the New Testament, but not you know in the first days there. So it's like, who cares? And Gary, what was your 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 point was uh, as the church grow, or God as the church grows, it brings blessing and challenge and opportunity and ministry and ministry opportunity. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep, okay, yep. And so yeah, so the, and then mm. the one thing is is you were preaching through. Uh, Stephen's sermon, Saul was there, which means he wasn't yet called Paul, right? Which means he hadn't written Romans, he hadn't written Ephesians. And I was thinking, look how insightful Stephen is in his preaching. How insightful would you be? How insightful would I be if I never read Romans? I never read any of it. Like, like when you think about how significant the works of Paul is in Christian theology... You can't even put a, you can't even like put a, measure it. It's immeasurable, the, the importance of his work. And so Stephen was up there preaching like that prior to the epistles ever being written. But you know what? I that, just think it's like, we, we think of Stephen and it's like, he was a martyr. Okay, move on. It's like, this guy 
yeah. was being filled with the Spirit. <laughs> That's the key. And power. Right. You know, and, and his preaching was so insightful as is. And then when you think he didn't have Romans and Galatians and none of that. To, to none of it. He it wasn't even written yet, and he was still preaching like that. I was like, man, that that is really significant. I think because he was not an apostle. You know what I mean? So like, it just goes to show that the that the Christian faith. Okay, so there's there's controversy that that uh, there's even some, and these are cults and heretical groups, but I almost want to rip Paul out of the New Testament. Like he is so over influenced. The New Testament and jaded Christian theology. That if we just got back to what Jesus was teaching, right, it would be different, right? Well, you can't say that when you look at Stephen's sermon. All of it was pre-Paul, and all of it was in perfect harmony with later the epistles that were written later by Paul. Hmm. I just thought it was That's interesting. Good point. Yeah, and I mean, like, and should encourage all believers to to know, like, it doesn't rest in and really your ability. I mean, like, Stephen was filled with the Spirit. And, you know, like you have, if you're a believer, you've repented of your sin, believed in the gospel, you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now you need to be in the scriptures. The scriptures are, are a blessing. Like we don't have to be like Stephen and, you know, like hope for, you know, the words or whatever. You know, we've got it all written down. So you can even recite scripture instead of trying to come up with a sermon. There's right. another point expository I preaching. About. I mean, like. I don't believe that Stephen was even, obviously the spirit was moving through him. But I don't think he was just like esoterically like coming up with these this, these thoughts in the moment. No. Which tells me that this is the way they were taught. And this is the way he was mm -hmm. taught. So this tells me that that line of thinking and that doctrine and that teaching was common. Mm -hmm. He wasn't telling them stuff that he was not taught. Right. By those who were just right. Yeah. Him. It, it wasn't something new. Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah. So that was. I just think it. I don't know. I just think it's significant to show mm -hmm. that pre-Paul, that was the message of salvation was the same thing. And they agreed with everything yeah. up to the point of Christ. Yes. Yes. So it was that consistency. Mm. So I think Stephen is uh, is a remarkable guy. Anything you uh, kind of had to shave off your sermon, you know, some details or anything significant or interesting, neat? I like the way Mark filled, filled a gap that I didn't spend much time on just because I was hammering other stuff. But he came in and when he Mark uh, started talking about how, you know, God has called us into ministry and there are opportunities here to serve. And Mark went through several. I was like, man, that is of the Lord right there because that is important. That like service is part of the Christian. Um, that of the Christian it is the it's it's like part of the Christian life. I mean, it, it is the Christian life, serving God, serving others. And then the church needs to be providing opportunities for people to use their giftings. And then he said, and we do that here, you know. And so that's something that uh, I thought, yeah, that's a good point to bring back up and really emphasize at the end there. Mm -hmm. Needs come up and God's people are the ones that are supposed to step up and do it. Yeah, that's right. So if you're listening to this and you're not plugged into an area of service, then uh, reach out to us. You know, there's there's plenty of ways to serve uh the, the big needs are on Sunday morning, obviously, because that's um, our worship gathering. Uh, when we get together, there's a lot that like plays into a Sunday morning gathering, and uh, we need the help there. But there are many other ways to serve outside of that as well. So uh, we'd love to just see you not just get involved, but actually use your gifts. It's like one thing to just sign up and fill a, a need, which we need that, right, Sometimes, obviously. Yeah. Um, that comes about. 
Um, and if everybody's doing that, then there's nothing like uh, not being done. But more than anything, see you use your gifts because when you're using your gifts, you know things that you're passionate about, things that you're good at, um, you're going to be one thriving, but you're also going to be most content or happy. Like it's not all about like being happy right within ministry, right, but like fulfilled. Yeah, fulfilled. Yeah, yeah. Well, would, would be a good way to put like, it. Like like we're a young church, so. There's lots of opportunity. I forget that even, all the time, by the way. if we were like this mature, well-oiled church where there's no apparent needs, there's always opportunities. Yep. And, and I wouldn't even call them, you know, tertiary needs, but like on the outside, like with like abort, like does, you know, is there an abortion uh, clinic ministry, something like that? Or, you know, yeah, it could be a car. I mean, it's really, there's so many practical things and uh, something I wish I would have done a long time ago, and, and I'm glad I didn't, the other churches that we were in as we were searching for New Hill was just coming up and saying, hey, look, I have, I want to get plugged in. I don't know what I want to do, but just help me. Give me something, small yeah. or big, whatever it is. And I think that's a good place to start. It's like, just throw something at me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I probably left out of mind that I could have gone deeper into, and I said it wasn't a sermon for this, but Man, talk about like implications of end times and the kingdom. And... All right, let's move along. <laughs> anyway, let's move along, dude. Fire! fire I call... fire. Simon. Simon texted me last, last night. night. Yeah. <laughs> Are you post mill now? I'm like post mill. No. I go. So we're having. I said I'm house. intrigued by a mill. I said I'm. I'm and he said. He goes, I'm going to extend my candidacy indefinitely. (laughs) (laughs) Until you get this nailed down. (laughs) Simon is so pre-mill, man. It's so funny. Which is like definitely an open-handed thing. But I told him, I said, when I like read any argument, I'm like, it's really cool, Simon, to see, uh, see the needle like thread through all of scripture. And not like you're like trying to like thread a a thin needle, like it doesn't make sense and you're trying to make it happen. But like. Like talking about eschatology and you're connecting from Genesis to Revelation and how things all piece together and they show you a glimpse of of the future glory. Right. And I was like, it's really, really cool. And particularly, you know, the thing that I've been studying uh, a little bit deeper is uh, the all-mill view. And, you know, I'm not sold on it. Um, And really, since I formed my pre-mill view... I've been intrigued by all the arguments. I mean, oh, it's yeah. it's it's tough not to be. What's so hard is you listen to any three of them and you start nodding your head like, yeah, it, like it's you're a, like, oh man, that's a good point. And then the next guy gets up and starts talking. And you're like, that's a good point. Oh man, yeah. that's such a good point. It's like, the post mill view that I can't get behind. Did you read that book by the way? The not yet. I'm, okay. I, that, it's, yeah, it's that's short, my next read. The yeah. post mill. The post mill. Like just real it's, quick, it's too optimistic for me. They'll say, is society getting better? You know, in the last 10 years, you know, no. Well, what about if you go last 500, 500 years? Yeah. What about 500? So if you take this history in chunks of, five, like, say, 500 years, because it's an even number and it's been roughly 2,000 years, you start to see what they're saying. Now, does that mean it's coming out of the Bible necessarily? No. doesn't prove it, per se, but it doesn't disprove it. Yeah, but even look at Christendom. Like, like we put a man right on now, the moon. I'd say it's, like, going down. We put a man on the moon. Like, the churches, like, people, Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like people are being saved left and right. But at the same time, like the church is under like, like more persecution than is, ever. Yeah, but we're also we're also preaching the gospel in more places than ever. Like the Christian influence. So like the post mill, so that's why I say you start listening to these guys and real smart guys, all three of these views have like seriously champions of the faith, scholars 
behind, and you start nodding your head. And I listen to James White or Doug Wilson that they talk about post mill, and I'm like, that is a good point. Like, the church has expanded. The world is far more Christian than it was 500 years ago. Yep. Think about it, like in Asia and like right. all around the world. <laughs> right. And so you're like, okay. And so then, and then they're saying, you know, their point is like it's not a straight line straight up. No. You know, that you'll go through valleys and so forth, but you just keep that slowly but surely. But Doug Wilson would like leave behind a, like, there's no great tribulation. No. It's no, like not going to amplify. Well, he would say that happened in 70 AD. Right. And, it, and I, I don't buy that. But, but I can't buy that. But he would also say there's future coming tribulation as well. Yeah, he would say we're in and, one now. Like, yeah, we're yeah starting it's perpetual to, tribulation. Well, yeah, because sometimes when you, you listen to those guys, you're like, why are you not pre-mill? Because they're talking yeah. about like some serious dark ages, right. like that we're about ready, to, you know, technocracy and, and Christians are going to go underground and all this stuff. Like you listen to James White, especially, he's really been hammering that. Like this, we are, like, are you people thinking clearly? Like, do you understand you may lose your building? Your yeah. multi-million dollar building may be gone. And look what's going on with Grace Church in California with, yep. with John MacArthur and then up in Canada. So, like, you start listening. I'm like, dude, that's what we're saying. You know what I mean? That's what we're about ready to go into the end times. And he's saying, but the, there's all the last enemy that's going to be defeated is death. death. Yeah. Okay. And so that means every enemy, whether it would be the Judaizers, the whatever, on and on throughout history, there's in the Roman Catholic Church, all of these enemies have seemed impossible to defeat. Like totally all enveloping, and we are screwed, we're underground, and they've all been defeated. This modern secular humanistic enemy is the newest one, right? And it looks insurmountable. Just like, you know, uh, in the days of John Huss, the Roman, you know, they burned him at the stake. That looked insurmountable. But then 75 or whatever it was, right. years later, Martin Luther shows up. So, so their point is like, these enemies are going to pop up. It's going to look like all hell's about to break loose. We're all about to get wiped out. Christ defeats them. And then boom, 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 boom. And then the very last one is death. Yeah. That's their big. That's one of their big well, yeah, points. Psalm 2, Psalm 110, 1 Corinthians 15. Those are really strong post-mill or amill uh, points to make. The one, So I can get on and off the... Uh, optimistic amill or post mill bus at, at any time. I think there are some enough similarities between those two where I can side with both. Uh, but the one thing that post mill I think is lacking is the emphasis on persecution and yes. suffering. They don't have a very good framework for dealing with that. Frankly, yeah. the the, the amills and the post uh, the pre mills do, but that's the one thing. And then the no wars things. I I just can't get on board right. with that. That there will come a time where there be no Wars. I well, see they believe they're going to enter into the the millennium, well, and well, it's going to be a golden age. Say the, the, well, different views on, it, but you know, basically, the millennium is from the resurrection of Christ all the way to the second coming. Some, some that's all mill, right? No, that's post mill too. There, again, there's so many similarities. Right. So many My head's flavors. Now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I don't I don't worry about it too much. But you know, I see those uh, about there being no war. I see that being as a uh, poetic description, hyperbole don't, of the gospel state, the progress of the gospel in the world. Doesn't um, the post mill believe? I've never like that. There will be a golden age prior to the return of Christ. That was the Puritans. So the Puritans believe that it was a coming golden age. Um, so their form of post mill was like. So what's the difference between post mill and mill? 
there's it's uh, so I mean honestly you can be on one side or the other and hold a different view of revelation and they could seem just entirely consistent with one another I mean I it, really it, there's so many different flavors that's crazy I think that the terms well, of post what well, we think of now today came out of a mill anyway I mean all yeah. mill is yeah in a sense post mill in a sense it that is. like yeah the church it's, age when it wraps up price price is gonna come after the millennium right that's yeah Anyway, we got a question this week. What was the question, Pastor Gary? Robin, our listener of the month, two months in a row. All right, Robin. Um, she asked us to talk about, like, how are we supposed to think about what do we do with the Saul of the Old Testament, Judas Iscariot in the New Testament, these people who were servants of God, in a sense, right, called of God, served God, and then fell away. How do we reconcile that? And then even in our day, you know, you see these pastors lately that have, you know, um, Joshua Harris is probably the, the the one that hurts the most, I think, because he was so orthodox prior to his apostasy. So did these guys, were they not saved? Did they lose their salvation? Um, because they're both with, first, with Saul and with, with Judas, you could make a good art. I mean, Judas had authority to cast out demons. Yep. Think about that. Um, so that was what her question was, essentially. I think I'm trying to make sure I'm getting it all. But that basically, what do we? How do we think about that? What do we do with that? Does do these people show examples of people losing their salvation? If not, what what is it? Well, and, and we've all had that Christian friend who they 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 basically exemplified everything we thought was Christian. We thought they had the spirit. We thought, you know, they, they attended church. They, they maybe even preached. And then suddenly they're opposed to the gospel. So yeah, the, the question is, did they lose their salvation or were they just never Christians? So the easy answer that we'll have to like unpack is no one loses their salvation, period. Yeah. Now scriptures are clear about that. Now. That becomes the problem, and I mean, like, it, it, it's really kind of what we talked about, and I think why this question was provoked was from this, this past week, um, talking about circumcision of the heart. So there's this idea that, you know, people are following, and I would even say just playing the game of religious activity uh, while never actually following Christ or having true faith. Um, so, so that's, I think, where it came from, um, and then you start to unpack it, because to the naked eye, you look and you see somebody doing something, and you're just like, oh, they're saved, right? Like, they're they're going to church, they're proclaiming faith, they've been baptized uh, by immersion, right? Like, they're, they're following all the steps that proceed, uh, proceed from faith, um, and then you see a flip, right? And sometimes it can be drastic, it can be, like, right away, or it can be over time, um, but that person's now out of church. Maybe they're bluntly saying that they don't believe in Jesus, so to our eye, it's like super confusing, but then you start to deal with um, the eternal security, right? And then you also deal with apostasy. So you've got to, to grasp those and understand and deal with the nuances and details. And first, you, you do have to come to the understanding of eternal security from the scriptures that um, God saves us, God sustains us. Um, that's the important thing of understanding about salvation is that um, what Jonathan Edwards says, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Amen. So God is saving us. 
Um, so that means if God saved you, um, then he'll sustain you. Now, if you take the approach that you saved yourself, uh, you did something good, you merited favor with God because of your works, um, then you've got to find a way to sustain yourself. If you fall in that approach, yeah, you lose your salvation. Like we all would if, if that was the case. We yeah. would all lose our salvation um, and every day have to be begging for, for a new grace uh, to come upon us, to save us. But because God saves us and sustains us, we've got to deal with those who were once among us but now aren't. And, that, and explain it. Yeah, and that's a great point. First John 2 says, yes. Why did they go out? They went out from us because they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have remained. They would have stayed. And um, that's, you know, I, I've had friends who I really thought were regenerate. And they forsook the Lord entirely. And they are opposed to him. And they post things on Facebook that are trying to discredit the scriptures and the existence of God. And it hurts. And, you know, I have one of two, I have one of a few options I can say, well, they lost their salvation, which I think is abundantly clear from Scripture that that's not possible because God's not an Indian giver and justification is definitive. I think that messes with the doctrine of God declaring a person righteous through the righteousness of Christ. Uh, the other one is I can say, well, um, yeah, they played the church game. Uh, there was, I'm sure, sincerity along the way, but they... You know they were never justified and they went along um and then the you know the, the third option is hey you know what maybe god did justify them maybe they're going through a short period of rebellion and they will come back because god you know when god puts his hand on a person like a prodigal yeah they, exactly exactly that's a great point every yeah. prodigal every the prodigal son always comes home that's right there's so, never a parable where a prodigal leaves and doesn't come home. And you'll hear that from, from us consistently. Um, and what I mean by us, like the guys, you know, sitting here and, and your pastors at New Hill Church, you know, we consistently say that as, you know, like if they're really saved, then they're going to come back from it. Um, I mean, scriptures make that clear. I mean, that's so you want to talk about a more reformed view of eternal security. It'd be perseverance of the saints, like talking about that. Like if you're truly saved, you're going to persevere. Um, not prosper, but persevere. Right. Uh, important to understand those differences as well. But um, th those who are truly believers, again, are being sustained by God. And he'll see it through, Paul writes to the, the church of Philippi, he'll see it through to the day of completion, right? He who began a good work in you will see it through. Like, that's, right. that's going to happen. Then, then why are there so many warnings that's what I was just gonna ask. in the Bible um, about that? <clears throat> Uh, let me pull up. So what were you going to say, Mark? Uh, that's, yeah, I was going to say, how do you... So anybody who's read the Bible, they'll notice these passages, these warning passages. They're very sharp. James uh, has one of them that's really harsh. Yeah, for James 5, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there's John 15. There's uh, Hebrew... I mean, the entire book of Hebrews... Hebrews 6. That, they, they have five warning passages. Here, here, let me just read. Here's a big one. Um, I'll just start Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible. Okay, verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit 
and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then having fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. What do you, how, does, how does eternal security fit there? I mean, these are people, it says it's impossible if they've fallen away. I mean, these are people that have been enlightened. They've tasted of the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers they... These people, there's this warning that if that happens to you, you can't get saved again. Which, by the way, those that teach, you can lose your salvation. I've yet to have one of them say you That's can't right. get saved again. That's right. But, but... It's, that doesn't prove, you know, just because they're not teaching it correctly. Or which which verse was that again? Four through, four through six. six. Yeah. So, so I, I used to hold the common view. There's two predominant views. It's one, they lose their salvation. The other is they just play church and, you know, John Owen gets into like, you know, they tasted of the word of God, but they didn't really imbibe the word of God. I, so the view I take is that... Uh, this is talking about regenerate Christians. So he starts off the chapter, he's saying, let's not lay again the foundation. So there's a foundation, once for all, delivered to the saints. Uh, you know, Jesus died once for all. He uses that terminology. So let's not go back to that and try to do it again. Because for people who are Christians, and I think all these descriptors talk about Christians, uh, tasting of the heavenly gift partakers of the Holy Spirit. He uses that in chapter 3 as well, uh, tasting the good word of God. So I, I take it that this is a real Christian and that the falling away in verse 6 is not a full, final apostasy that is falling into sin and that it's not possible to renew that person again to the uh, a new... If they can't be born again again because to do that would put Christ to an open shame saying... Well, I need to be born again, so Jesus, you need to die for me again. Mm. Um, and, and then he gives an analogy which can fit with that, and then verse 9, but we're persuaded of better things for you, that you're not going to fall. And the, the whole context of Hebrews is don't go back. Jesus is better. So they were tempted to go back to the temple, to the sacrifices, to the pictures that the gospel was pointing to Christ about. Uh, and if you do that, you are apostatizing. Uh, and again, it's Jesus died once for all, and um, when he saves you, he saves you once for all. And there's a lot of passages in Hebrews that show that salvation is permanent. It's everlasting life. So I'm I do think it's guys... interesting in verse yeah. 9, I'm glad you brought that up. Because the author here, we're not sure who it is of Hebrews, but it says, though we speak in this way, notice he's saying in this way. So we're using this kind of language. Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Now, that would be a radically inappropriate thing to say to somebody if you think they might lose, they could lose their salvation, right? So like if, you, if you're thinking, like, like, it'd be like saying, like if you're some Arminian who believes that you can lose your salvation, can you imagine saying... But I'm positive you're not going to. Right, right. Well, that goes right back to eternal security then, right? Like, yeah. So clearly that's not what he's taught. He is telling them, it's like he's going through this hypothetical with them. This, this he's, He said, I'm speaking in this way because he's trying to make the bigger point. Don't go back and so forth. But 
I'm, I don't want you all paranoid that you're going to lose your salvation. I'm convinced of better things for you, for you people. You're Christians. You're saved. You've been saved. I'm not talking about you. So you take the hyper, um, uh, hypothetical view, which is it's well, it's really that's. I think this is talking about true apostates. Okay. People that were formally Christian. Right. They were baptized, members of the church. Yeah. And so they were part, in some ways, of that covenant community. Right. Um, that and, and were Christian, kind of like on an outward yeah. level. Yeah. And, and like you use the word sincere, in some ways maybe sincere, but they never received right. salvation. These apostates, in those circumstances, what circumstances? They've tasted, they shared in the Holy Spirit. So it's more than they just went to church, okay? Yeah. Yeah. So they have been enlightened. So they've had the gospel. They've tasted of the heavenly gift. They've experienced. Think about, maybe Mark, you were a little bit older before you got saved. You could probably, I, you never told me this, but I would imagine if you were going to church, there were probably times where you would sense something oh, yeah. is happening, oh, right? Yeah. So you you were, you were, you were being enlightened. You were, mm -hmm. you in a sense, you tasted, and I'm going to come back to that word, tasted the heavenly gift, right? So you, you were there, you were experiencing this, shared in the Holy Spirit. You may have even gotten emotional or seen something and been like, wow. Like that is really powerful. Something like you, uh, something undeniable, right? So you're right. you're sharing in this experience, right? And he goes back to that word, tasted the goodness of the word of God. So you heard the word of God, and maybe there was times before you were saved where you walked away thinking that's really good, you know, like you've yeah. you, you yeah. know, it's like oh, that's a good point, uh, you know, these things. So it's interesting that this word tasted is the same word that was used when when remember when Jesus was when he was hanging on the cross. And they tried to give him a mixture of drink right. that would dull his pain. Yeah. It he tasted it. Mm. It touched his lip. And when he tasted what it was, what did he do? He spit it out. He rejected it. That's the same word. Yeah. So they've tasted it. They've gotten that close to it. They've experienced it to that degree. And they rejected it. Right? Doesn't they didn't ingest it. They didn't they didn't take it in. Right. So don't we shouldn't confuse that to me that they like you said John was it John Owen that said yeah. they imbibe no, it. They, what Gary they said, didn't this consume is a, it. This is kind of the prompt predominant reform view on they weren't they weren't technic they weren't regenerate. They didn't really know God. Circumcision of the heart. Yeah, they didn't have circumcision of the heart. And that's I, I held that for a long time. And again, I this is I, I could be I could be completely wrong, but I, I know this. When you look at these it's not just like by comparison. Well, there's more passages that say that you know, you can, your salvation's forever, you know, then there are warning. It's not about that. It's when you look at it in context, these warnings, they're not saying anything close to a real believer is going to lose their salvation. Mm -mm. None of them. Right. John 15, Hebrews 10, you know, Lord shall judge his people, you know, the trampling of the son of God underfoot, profaning the blood of the covenant. That in context, they're not talking about a person who knows God, who loves God losing their salvation i think examples like saul and judas passages like mm -hmm. this there's other passages in hebrews we could turn to you it is not, it is not okay to just go to church and i think there's some people even some christians that think like they would never say these people aren't going to hell but they kind of think it's not going to be as bad for them they're good people they come to church and so forth so god is going to take it easy on them right it's the opposite. 
It's the opposite. There are dire warnings to those people playing church and going and being religious and so forth. Like, like they're going to have it worse. I remember I went to a, um, what I would call a secret church here in Medina. I'm tempted to say the name of it, but maybe no. the, maybe the you guy know. stop. <laughs> no heck no. Just um, and it, the reason I'm saying is because I was there the one Sunday, and the guy made this comment. And maybe he just, maybe he wasn't, you know, sometimes you just say things and you don't really think of the full implications. So I'm going to give him some, a break on this. But he made this comment about how it's like, you know, if, you, if, if you're here, just, I just think it's wonderful that you're here. If you're, you're just checking out this Jesus thing, God is really pleased with that. That's, or something along those lines. Yeah. And it came off, and maybe I'm critical, the way I'm, in my mind, I was already skeptical of this church. And those skeptics, those, those apprehensions were confirmed. <laughs> But it almost came off like there is some merit before God that you came to church this week. Mm. That, God, that somehow you get, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that God is... God's happy with God's that. happy with that. And that's not true. That This is who he's talking about here in Romans, or, uh, uh, Hebrews 6. He's not... Like, it's not okay. It's really not okay to do that. You, you know, you know what's what's really interesting is um, quite a few people that I've talked to when this conversation comes up, they've been taught you can lose their sal- your salvation, and they're coming out of that teaching. And we talk about the apostates. First question is, well, wait a minute, and am I playing church? Right. Is my heart rejected? How do I really let know a man my examine faith? himself? Yeah. How do I really know my faith is real? And you know this. The people that this is talking about, and in Christ's day that followed him, they were not accepting Jesus. The people in Hebrews, they're talking about leaving Jesus. They're saying there's a better sacrifice in the temple sacrifices. So this isn't like, you know, it's, how do I say this? It's not just, like, when you examine yourself, you're going to find extreme deficiencies Mm -hmm. in your level of performance and faith and all these things. And there is a real salvation, but the people who don't have it, they legitimately are not trusting Christ. They, right. It's not like they're conf- they might be confused, but they're they're not accepting Christ. They're, they're rejecting. Only, they're rejecting Christ. straight up, straight up. Formally, so not, like yes, in their in their hearts. Because every time you the, sin, you reject Christ, right? So we all do that. Mm-hmm. That's not what he's talking about, and well, that's, that's not. Right. We're, we're talking about a formal. Um, Apostasy. Yes. Where you're saying either Jesus isn't enough, or Jesus yep. isn't real, or that, or there's something it. else, or Jesus plus Mary, or yep. whatever it is. It's not. It's not a. Um, I struggle with sin. Exactly. I struggle with sin, and I know it's wrong. Therefore, I know. Like if you had that conviction that it's wrong, you you wouldn't have it if you didn't have the Holy Spirit. That's you know right. what I mean? And a lot of a lot of our doubts and struggles with this this doctrine of eternal security come from just a fallen world view, especially as we see divorce like rates go up or just divorce happening. I haven't looked at the rates, if they're going up or down or staying, like wherever they've been, what the trend is right now. But you see it's just so prevalent. And it's accepted. It's a point like we're, you know, we're not talking about it. In church, like we agree it's wrong, whatever. But then like you start to think about your relationship with Jesus. And it's like, oh, that can just come and go too. Mm. Like, I mean, no relationship that we see in this world is guaranteed. Like, to continue on. Like, our friendship, we know that. I mean, there, there could come a day 10 years down the road and, you know, Lord willing, it won't happen, right? Like, 
unless you know one of us is sent somewhere else to do another work or whatever it might be. Hopefully, that would be the only reason. But we know that our sin could get in the way, and our relationship could be yeah stained and you know. But when it comes to the relationship with Christ, if we have a true relationship with Christ, a saving relationship, not just professing you know some truth that is true, whether or not you acknowledge it. That doesn't change. It just it doesn't. Scriptures teach us no. about that. So think about your own children, right? Mm. You so, know what I mean? Like that's you, that's the strong. Yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah. And you, you talked about really that with the jack up, yeah. yeah, your relationship with your kid or your parents, but you can. There is nothing you can do for that. Literally, biologically, like there's nothing that you can do to right. undo that relationship. So and so, you're telling me that 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 relationship is stronger. Than God's relationship with His people, yeah. it's like no, and and that's We're why we too, and we still love our children, right? And we even go back to the early days of New Hill as a church plant with like fifteen people. I would always preach the gospel, knowing everybody's testimony. The gospel is preached, proclaimed. You know, like we expository preaching. We're going through verse by verse, whatever it is. We're going through At the beginning. It was the gospel of John, and. I would know everybody there. We wouldn't have any guests. And I'd still share the gospel at the end. Half were family. Yeah, like half like you, was family. You, like you whatever. know that Chris yeah. and Jeremy and right. Luke and. But I don't know their heart. Like, and, and I know that their their testimony, and I I believe it. I believe these are brothers and sisters in Christ. But if for some reason one day someone figures out that they're not they a real it. believer, yeah, they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear it every time. Um, from an article talking about apostasy from gotquestions.org, they, they say this, describing this aspect of apostasy and its underlying danger, A.W. Tozier writes, end quote, so skilled is error at imitating truth that the two are constantly being mistaken for each other. It takes a sharp eye these days to know which brother is Cain and which is Abel, mm. end quote. And they continue on, the Apostle Paul also speaks to the outwardly pleasing behavior of apostates and their teaching from 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 and 14, saying, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Yep. Um, there's a really good song by um, Shylin where he talks about that. Like, um, you, you think that some of their statements are right, are right, that only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light. Mm -hmm. you know, he talks about that, yeah, same, right. that same verse in his song. And it's true. That's why people are being taken by these doctrines. And we talked about it this past Sunday. The reason it's important to engage in biblical uh, confrontation is because some dude or some lady down the road is, is preaching to a congregation yep. and using the same Bible, uh, not verse by verse, but a verse here and a verse there, and yep. twisting it and manipulating it. And it sounds good um, to our ears and to our flesh, and they're speaking false truth. Yep. And people are getting behind it because it's easier, um, because it's more lovable, um, it's more pleasing right now. Right. Um, but you're not going to get any eternal grat gratification um, from following Satan himself. I mean, you're just not. Yeah. And we see that even even within Orthodox churches, yeah. um, people get along and they're like, oh, this is a good crowd, this is some good music, um, this is a good time, seems like we're doing some good work. Yeah, that are my wife's on my back, off my back now. Yeah, so like we're going to church. Good. Yeah, and they're just playing. Yep, they're playing the game. Jesus warned this too. He said in Matthew seven twenty one, it says, "Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So if, <laughs> if, if this is, because it sounds like, again, these are Christian people. Lord, he said, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? That means preach, declare the gospel. Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do wonderful works and do all these good things? And interesting, Jesus doesn't say, depart from me, I don't know you. He doesn't say, depart from me, I, I, I don't know you anymore. He says, I never knew you. Yeah. So these were not people that were saved, but by the outward appearance, they would look well, like it, like Judas Iscariot. Yeah, and he's talking to Pharisees that are false teachers in particular that rejected, once again, they overtly rejected Christ, and they, you know, they thought their righteousness was sufficient to find favor with God. And that's, that's the problem when he's saying, like, uh, you know, Lord, Lord, these are people who are rejecting Jesus. Even though they do things in his name, yeah. they think their righteousness exceeds that of the righteousness of Christ. And they were never saved. And they were he never saved. He never knew them. That's right. At no point, in the midst of all their good works, all these things, they're foreign to him. Right. They're not, they're in no relationship with him. Which is, again, it's a sobering thought and it's not a bad thought to think, is that going to be me? Mm-hmm. That's, That's scary. We're supposed to think like that. But then you go back to the, what's the message of the gospel? Right. Do I believe the gospel? Do I trust the gospel? That's why we're told to examine ourselves. Um, you know, and I, I tell people, like, if you're concerned about this, like paranoid about, um, have I lost my salvation or am I... The first indication that that's not happened to you is that you care. Yes. yes. You people that are this these people here, they don't that doesn't even cross their nope. mind whether or not they I mean look at all the good things I do. Yep. Of course I'm going to heaven. Right. You know what I mean? They're not worried about going to heaven. They they got it down. Yeah. They're good. They're good to go. And then they find out on judgment day that they're not good to go. But the ones that are contrite, they recognize their mm-hmm. sin, they mourn over their sin. And they're not clear about, you know, this this issue, or maybe they'll see that maybe I never okay you can't lose your salvation. Well, maybe I never was a Christian, right? Right. Well, you wouldn't care. Yeah. You would not be upset. You would not. You it just that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. You need to develop, you know, and, and grow both in whatever the sin is that is besetting you, and also in your understanding of the gospel. But non Christians don't think like that. No. Nope. You know, they're like, why wouldn't I go to heaven? Yeah, and this, this goes back to, like, the doctrine election. One of the confessions talks about that the number of the elect cannot be diminished or increased. Like, God, sovereign God, mean? Westminster Confession, okay. the number of the elect cannot be diminished or increased. The number set. And if you want to know if you're elect, the question is, do you believe on Christ alone? That's the question. There's right. not, like... I know during uh, the pure puritanical times, there were some you know really off-brand Puritans who they had they, they didn't have assurance. They you know, it was constantly introspective. Yep. Uh, oh, am I am I matching up? And it becomes a works-based performance before God. Yep. And that's no way to live. You can't you know you you can't live wondering constantly in fear if you're saved. It's you know what's interesting about that is that that paranoia that that some of the puritans 
we're guilty of and some of us today. It's still self-focused. Exactly, yeah. Constantly self-examining, self, 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 self. And so your attention is where? Christ? No. It's you. I'm, I'm looking, yeah, exactly. It's not my faith that saves me. It's the object of my faith that mm-hmm. saves me. It's Christ himself. Faith doesn't save anybody. It's Christ himself so, who gives faith. So what do we think about Saul? What do we think about Judas? What were these guys? Man, I, I, I know Judas was definitely not saved because um, the scriptures talk about him as the son of perdition. So uh, Saul, he never. Saul, so we're saying he was never I, he saved. He was never. No, he had his hand in the money bag. He was constantly. I think he was undermining Christ, not trusting in Him. Is Saul again, in hell? Just, okay, so Saul. I have, a, I have a friend who said Solomon was not as well because he worshipped other worshipped other gods. Um, I, I don't know about Saul. You can make an argument, a good argument either way on Saul. Um, I, I'm not sure on that one. That's a rough one because he lost yep. his mind and yep. You know, but I mean, he was anointed, right? As king, as he was king. Anointed. That's when G, when uh, King David says, "Don't take your spirit from me." He's talking about the, not the spirit in general. He's talking about the spirit of his kingship because the spirit left Saul and he was no longer king. Yeah, and David was afraid that was about to happen to him. Yeah, and, and all I can say, if you're if you're you know if you trust in Christ and you think you are so bad, look at these characters in the Bible. Look at Samson, that dude was hmm. jacked up. Look up at look Lot incest. Yes, I mean, and it, it calls him righteous. Look at Peter denying Christ. I mean, I bet you any money, um, you, so what's you the have difference? not compiled. What's the difference between Peter and Judas? Yeah, the, the difference was uh, God. <laughs> God had his hand on Peter, and he did not on Judas. So, Peter, I love Judas. I hated. Yeah. Even though Judas yeah. was clearly an integral part of his entire plan. Right. Uh, he was. He was one of the twelve. Yeah. Yeah. Would you give Matthias the, the, what, <laughs> moving along there? Would you? Uh, <laughs> would you? Uh, would you hand the money? Okay, so we got we have a treasurer now here. Uh, um, I keep want to say Connie. Maureen has you know turned it over. And we got uh, Kate Newman going, right? So we said, we discussed, who, who, who are we going to, even before we asked her, who are we going to ask? Okay, I can tell you the ones that would not be asked, I don't know on top of my head, but like if we knew somebody had like in their, you know, fraud. history, some fraud, fraud or embezzlement. Hey, we love you, but we're not going to put so, it So who it. is like the most responsible and trustworthy and organized and transparent and... You know, so you come up with a list and who, who would be actually willing to do it, you narrow it down. So Kate Newman is like this shining star. This is that, I mean. And does it for a living. And, and, she, and she's competent in it. She does yeah, it for a living, right? Yeah. So the fact, my point is like, they didn't just willy nilly give the money bag to anybody, right? Yeah. On the outward, Judas Iscariot was not only one of the 12, but he was a trusted member of the 12, yeah. and everyone trusted him. And they were all surprised. They were shocked what yeah. he did, right? So, um, and he was sent out to cast out devils. Yeah, he sent it, went out and preached. It doesn't say, Lord, 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 Lord. Yes. So I, I think, think to... what you were saying, Mark, about like <clears throat> if you find yourself in that boat, like, do you believe in Jesus? Like, are you you trusting him? Is he Lord over your life? Like, if you're dealing with like maybe struggling with uh, your security of your salvation. I look at, I always go to this passage, and I always forget where it is too. But right after Jesus feeds the multitude, 
Um, then he departs, he walks on water, you read, and then you get down to John 6, um, down to verse 22 and on. Uh, the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw, um, saw there that only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. Um, but then anyways, it continues on uh, when they found him on the other side of the sea. So they finally find him. Rabbi, when did you come here? And this is where he goes on and he tells them after feeding them bread and fish, he tells them that I'm the bread of life. Mm. Then they get mad. Yeah. Are you mad at that truth? Like, do you believe, like what you're saying is so true. Now this is where it becomes like, you start to see the difference in apostasy, like, and is someone really a believer and not? You can follow Jesus and the signs, right? You can follow all these wonders and the miracles. And I would say you could be following church, right? Let's use a little bit more modern language. Right. People come in the church and you're seeing miracles. may not be like a leg being healed, but like you're seeing miracles right in front of you. Right. Uh, like even the saints gathering, like yes. what a miracle. It's, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel when, when redeemed people meet and gather and worship uh, Yahweh. But then you come down to, to what happens. He gives them the truth, and he's not giving them food. And he says, I am the bread of life. And then it starts to use language like they grumbled, and they start to question, and they start unless to get you, angry. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. What? He's saying, how do yeah. we eat his flesh? And it's like, right. come on, like you, can, you cannot miss that. And what you're saying, that's Exclusive. verse 52. The Jews then disputed. So again, they're, they're mad about this. They're disputing among themselves in verse 52. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So then Jesus tells them, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of this, uh, the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and whoever drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Uh, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also uh, live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread of the fathers um, that ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. I mean, and he just goes on and on and on. And there's just no way that we can miss this mark. And also understanding the inerrancy of Scripture when you're tying in all of God's redemptive plan and not just trying to figure out a piece of it, when you look at the entire narrative, you see that God saves his people, sustains his people, and no one loses that. So then when you come to these, I'll call them controversial, even though it's more just confusing, right? When you just like yeah. take Hebrews 6 at face value, kind of confusing. But then when you understand the entire redemptive plan, then you start to play into the hypothetical that's being tossed out you know, like what you're like, it's a hypothetical thing. Like, okay, you're dealing with this. You think that you're struggling, but you, you don't really lose your salvation. So this idea that if you were to lose it, it it's permanent, right? Like what yeah, he's talking about. Cannot. But R.C. Sproul says, however, this falling away is impossible for a true believer because of God's work of preserving his people. It's impossible. So you can throw out these ideas and scripture does that, right? There's times where like when you're looking at even like a parable when Jesus taught it, like you've got to look at it through a different lens. It's not that it's not there um, for you to take and eat and chew up and digest, but there's another way of understanding a parable instead of just right. looking at it and oh, like, that's it. Same passage, all that the Father has given to me will, will come to me, and I'm not, I'm not gonna turn, anybody that comes to me, I will not turn them away. 
I mean, you, yeah, but you, you can walk away, <laughs> right? Have John, you ever had John, that said? Yeah, John ten. Uh, you know, my uh, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. No one's gonna pluck them out of my hand. You can you pluck know, yourself I, out. You of can your... pluck yourself. It's like all right, look, but if actually, you can do that. The first you will. part of what he said: all that the Father gives me. Right. So that remove that means that means all. Like if you look up word up in the Greek, it means. All. All means all, all yeah. the time. I say that all the time to people <laughs> to get them to like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's like that's why it's translated that way. All, all that the Father gives the Son will come to him. Oh, and by the way, and they he will raise them up on the last that's day. Right. So the, it's like from the beginning to the end. Like the same people given to Jesus are the same people that are going to be well, then you, you would turn to Romans there, where he says, uh, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also foreknew, called. Foreknew, called, called. And those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he, he glorified. also glorified. So yeah. glorification. Golden yeah. chain. And, and then we know, like, you know, we'll receive our glorified bodies later. But, like, like you're saying, Gary, he's past tense. So, I mean, it's done. It's done. It's set in, in the, the mind of God, it's done. Remember, yeah. God doesn't look at life like we do like moments in time that go he's eternal so he sees all of human history at the same time that when i first thought like that that mind-blowing yeah. like do you understand he's looking at moses on sinai right now in the same way he's looking at us and our great 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 grandchildren at the same way like so he, you think we're gonna make it that far well i'm just saying i mean maybe while he's performing <laughs> we've got it on recording yeah yeah so like it's all he god does not remember moses and looking at us and this is real time and thinking about he's does that make sense so it's like time travel in a sense is possible because god he's outside of it right so he's he, he, when he says he glorified them, from his perspective, it's already done. It's done because he's seeing seven billion years from now is as real to God looking at it as it is to us. It's like he's looking at this table here. Like that's not even a good example, but it'd be like we only see this right here. He's this is all of human history. He's looking at it at the same time. I don't know. I think that's weird. I think it's awesome. Everything's happening at the same time. Any, in his mind, yeah, it's all simultaneous. Any concluding thoughts? It's a great question. It is a great question. Especially, yeah, because especially the examples she gave of Saul and Judas are, are there, though, that's an issue, both of those guys. And Mark said, and I kind of agree with Mark, I'm, I'm not positive of what went on with Saul because... I don't know either. I, Judas is clear just so because Scripture says Judas it. is pretty clear, I think. If, I, my, my concluding thought would be if you struggle with assurance of salvation, I would check out a podcast called Theocast. Uh, Theocast, the two gentlemen who do it, they address all the warning passages in the New Testament, all the objections, or and also like the extreme side of the lordship salvation where you have to look like this kind of cookie cutter Christian to be saved. They address that in such a reasonable and thorough way that I don't know how anybody can argue with it to be honest. Right. So, is, is that one episode? No, it's it's an entire so like they a do, series. Yeah, so they do. Is their whole um, thing devoted to this? Oh yeah, it's it's a, it's a whole podcast. So, so what I'm saying dozens. is like so okay. Yeah, I mean it's it, But they, there's not one episode you would recommend. Uh, well, for there, it. I mean, if there, there is, can there, you send me the link and I'll put it in the notes? Yes, I can do that. Take yeah. up like take up your cross. What does that mean? Yeah. Right. Like, is that, are you not saved if you're not taking up your cross? Mm. And they go through that. Right. So there, there's about three I can think of. Self-examination is another good one. Okay. 
I guess one last thought I would give is the warnings are real. Yeah. And so don't, so sometimes we Baptists, the Reformed guys, you know, we, we don't mean to, but we could almost give the impression that there, that it's, um, it's not, don't worry about it. Right. In a sense. In a sense, yeah, don't worry about it if if you're a Christian. But the warnings of apostasy is real. Right. Take it re- take it serious. Yeah, for you and for your your son, your grandson, your you know, it's a real thing. Yeah, and I would just close with this. Uh, maybe you're not struggling with it. Uh, you know, the the Lord has redeemed you. Uh, maybe you're dealing with uh, family members and whatnot. Share the gospel with them. Um, so often we'll just keep praying for you know Johnny to get back in church. Um, but church isn't a sign of salvation. Um, it, it's where saved people uh, go to worship and they're part of it, but unregenerate people show up there too yeah. uh, every Sunday. It, it just happens. So just just pray for uh, their salvation uh, or pray for them uh, in your prayers uh, that the Lord would make it clear that you know he has saved them and, and get them back into uh, faithful obedience. Um, but don't be afraid to just start sharing the gospel. Go back to, to point number one. And it'll become clear if they had already believed in it, or it'll become clear right. if, if they need to believe in it right. uh, when you do that. That's so, a good point. All right. Well, we hope that this podcast helped you to put Jesus into perspective. If you have questions about this episode, a previous episode, or about our relationship with Jesus, please email us at engage at newhilloh.com, or you can go to newhilloh.com slash ask to send in whatever questions you might have so that we can help you grow in your faith. All right, church, go and honor God in all that you do. Observe the things he's commanded, provide to the needs of others, and extend the offer that's been extended to you. Peace. Boom.